This month we've been walking through a series called You've Gotta Be Kidding because we're looking at some of the shocking statements that Jesus would make that would catch people by surprise. Probably just throw them off. Things he would say that just seemed maybe unreasonable, maybe ridiculous, um, very troubling. And he'd make these statements that would basically call people to radically alter and change their lives. And in, these, in this series, as we look at some of, the, some of his statements, you might feel a little uncomfortable. And that might, it might even happen today. There's some things that Jesus said that might make you feel uncomfortable. And you might respond with, you've got to be kidding me. Or you might see some value in redirecting your life in some ways and see some of the benefit of guiding our lives by his words. For each of these messages in this series, we've been drawing from the historical account of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples and followers, and he heard and watched and just experienced a lot of amazing dialogues or teachings, and he wrote them down, and God preserved it for us today. And when I was thinking about today's topic, I was thinking about a time when uh, my wife... Aaron and I led a team to do a mission trip in Germany, and so we had some other people that were training for ministry, and we were going to Germany, had a, had a layover in England. We were in Heathrow Air- Airport, and, you know, it's a different country. You know, they speak English, but it's a different country. The money is a little bit different. The airport's a little bit different, and anyways, I was responsible. Somebody put me in charge of the team, and so I was... I. I had people that were with us were trying to get to the the gate that would bring us to Germany. And I thought, all right, we've, we made it. We're, we're sitting. We got, you know, an hour left before the gate, you know, the plane gets ready to go. And let's, there's a Starbucks right there. So let's, you know, why don't we all take our time to get coffee? And that took a long time. And that was kind of complicated figuring out what happens to my money if I pay via credit card in the airport in a different country. And we're trying to figure out, you know, these details. Meanwhile, I didn't realize our plane was getting ready to leave from a different gate. And so I'm over here, you know, in charge of this team, and I, I didn't realize, so, someone else actually, not the leader, uh, realized, I think we're in the wrong place. I was like, no, relax. Here, just have a coffee. And then I was like, oh my goodness, we're in the wrong place. We're very far away from the gate, and, you know, I don't, like, I don't know what's going to happen if we miss this flight. It'll be, I'm sure, very, very expensive costly in some way, and also I'm trying to like bring our team to report to the, you know, the workers on the field, and this is just not going to look good in a lot of ways. So this resulted in us running through the airport, and my wife was, uh, I think, seven months pregnant at the time? Yeah, seven months pregnant at the time. I think it was like right where they say you can't fly. It was right before that. So, <laughs> so, so we're running through the airport. I'm like, this is, this is, I, I'm, this is bad on all kinds of levels. And uh, we did make it. We made it just in time. There was nobody in line. You know, it's, it, was, it already loaded. So we got in, and that actually wasn't the last time we were running after transportation on that trip. <laughs> and so I, I, I was thinking about that because, you know, there's been times when I, I think I'm in the place I need to be, and it turns out I'm not. I'm, I'm misreading the situation. And we're going to look at a passage in the Bible where Jesus is talking to people who think they're on the right path headed towards heaven, but they're not. 
people who think they're in the kingdom of God and, and feel totally confident about it. And there's some pretty negative outcomes just looming in the horizon that they're totally unaware of. And so I, I, I can identify just being so confident I'm in the right place. It turns out I'm missing some critical information. Um, it's, it's actually what we'll read about is perhaps some people that may even get all the way to the gates of heaven you know, stand before God fully expecting to get in, fully expecting admission, and then they get denied and kicked out. And so that's, that's what we're looking at. So I want to go to Matthew chapter 7. It's, it's listed on your handout as well and on the screens here. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 21. This is, if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, you might know that this is right at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is an incredible teaching of Jesus. Uh, so much of how we know how to live comes from this sermon, and this is at the very end of it. This is at the very end of this critical teaching that he does. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So he's saying uh, there's going to be some people that will even call Jesus Lord. They say, like, Jesus is my Lord. And they will, not, they will not make it all the way into God's kingdom. And he says, only the one who does the will of my Father. Verse 22, he says, on that day, meaning judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. And uh, they're, they're recounting, these people get into, in front of God and they're recounting, like, look, at, look at the life we did. Like, we did all this stuff. We have said all along that you are Lord and look at all this great stuff we did. This is, this is like pretty amazing ministry, religious activity, prophesying, driving out demons, doing miracles. All, and they keep this phrase, in your name, is repeated three times, really emphasizing that these are people that profess to be Christians, profess that Jesus is Lord. And you might be able to add other kinds of things in this category beyond prophecy and all that, other kinds of religious activity. Perhaps, you know, we attended church, we heard a lot of sermons, we sang songs of worship, we, we read the Bible, we attended Bible studies, and there's so many good Christian activities that we did. We engaged, and we said, you're Lord. And Jesus makes this amazing response, amazing in a bad way. He says, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So that's not the response that they would expect to get. This would be really shocking. This would be really surprising. To probably totally confusing. Like, what is going on? And I think Part of what Jesus was doing with this particular passage is that he was, he was talking not to people that are way outside of church and living worldly, like no, no regard for God. He's writing to people that would probably be considered church people, uh, people who do religious stuff, people who think they're on the road to heaven, and they think they've lived a life that backed it up. So he says, depart from me, you. Um, actually, another later in the book of Matthew, uh, he uses a similar phrase, but it's got a little bit more description. Matthew 25, 41, he elaborates. He says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we have here some people 
who use words of respect and honor for God, for Jesus, call, they call him Lord. That's a very respectful term, an honoring term. They appear to be doing good works of devotion, and like they appear to be dedicated in the way they're living. And this response feels like a cold, heartless response from Jesus. How do you respond to a person like that claimed to know that you're Lord? And, and the people standing there with maybe their mouths open, about to be thrown into hell, are thinking, like, you got to be kidding me. What is going on here? This is, this is completely opposite of what I expected. You're throwing us into the eternal fire with Satan. You're saying we belong with Satan. And if you were watching this, if you, had, if you were to watch this play out, you also might say, like, you got to be kidding me. What is going on here? How is this happening? And I think there's one word in particular that stands out to me in a shocking way that Jesus says, on that day, many will say. In fact, there's more people that will have this experience than not have this experience, from what I can see. Many people, there's going to be a lot of surprised people on Judgment Day. This is kind of shocking. This is a little startling. I don't know if you've ever read this part of it or really thought the, about the implications, but m- the majority, just a few verses earlier, Jesus talks about the broad way and the narrow way. And he says most people are going to go the broad way to destruction. It's only a few that make it all the way to eternal life. And so if you consider the implications of this shocking verse, this is, real, this is, this is a hard teaching. The implications are there may be people who attend Valley Lights Church, who end up surprised. Think about the implications. Jesus, I think, and I think one of the reasons that Jesus said this, and he he had this written down, Matthew wrote this down, he wanted us to know what are some of the very real conversations that some of us will have with him on Judgment Day. It's important for us to know what a person might walk into. So this might bring up the question, okay, if this, is, if this is the case, then how do you know you're good? Like, how do you know you're going to make it? Like, how could you be sure that God is going to say, like, all right, you know, like we looked at last week, well done, good and faithful servant, come share your master's joy. Or will he say, depart from me, cursed, go in the lake of fire? Like, how will you know which answer you're going to get? I think there's something going on in the hearts of these people that are very surprised, And I think what's going on goes a lot deeper than their words, a lot deeper than their actions. It goes beyond what they're saying and professing and the way that they're living. All of their words and even their actions are declared empty and worthless. Because Jesus can see all the way in. He looks past the words and the hearts, or he looks past the words and the actions, and he can see the heart. So these people may have God's name in their mouths, but there's something in their hearts that causes them to be rejected. It would be rebellion. Really, at the heart level, they rebel against God. This concept uh, is recorded by Luke as well. In Luke 6.46, Jesus asks this question to some others. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? How can you call me Lord and yet not follow through in all the things that I've commanded? And so there's this a, a dynamic that I've gathered from this is there, there are some people that haven't fully yielded everything. They may say that he's Lord, but he doesn't, he's not actually Lord all, over the whole life, over, 
over every slice, every area of your life. And so there's some things that come up for us, even in our day and age, that are sometimes hard to yield all the way to like, where it gets all the way down to the heart, where like at the heart level, there is absolutely nothing I'm holding back. But there's, there, there's a tendency, some, some examples. Um, uh, one example is money. Jesus talks a lot about money. The Bible has a lot to say about how we use it, where it should go, what should we do with it. Even giving 10% tithe is commanded by him. And money is one of those areas. It's really, really hard for us to just do what he said, to obey. Another one uh, could be having sex before marriage or any kind of sexual activity outside marriage between a man and a woman. And there's a lot of times it's just, it feels easy to kind of just bend the rules, so to speak, on that and maybe walk around what he said. We also struggle to, to submit to the authorities that God has put over us, even the bad ones. You were commanded to submit to our leaders and our authorities, our bosses, our, our government. Um, we're commanded to follow leaders. And that's really, really hard to do. And sometimes our hearts don't want to do that. And we come up with all kinds of reasons why we don't have to. It's really all hard also to forgive people. Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness. There's actually some really shocking, startling things he says about forgiveness. And, but it's really, really difficult to do that. Um, also, trusting God with suffering and hard things that come into our life is really hard to do. It can be really, it, it can be really easy to get bitter and frustrated at God, to reject him, to distance ourselves with him rather than to trust him. But he's, he's commanded us in this. I don't know if you can think of anything else. Can you think of any other areas of life where, you know, you may feel reluctant to let him be Lord, truly Lord and leader? Can you think of any area of your life where, like, you're, you, I'm going to hold back. I'll, yeah, I'll do all this stuff, but there's actually this area I'm going to hold back. I still want to do it my way. Or you might say, you know, I know technically this is wrong or, like, you know, I know the Bible says, but, and then you fill in the blanks with something, and you just, we, can, we easily make an excuse. And so Jesus asks this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? If you can, tolerate it. Let that question burn into your mind for a moment, as if you're looking at Jesus, and he says, why do you call me Lord, and you don't do what I say? I think the reality that Jesus was exposing at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is full of amazing life-altering teaching that ends up for our blessing, the reality is that many good people are not fully willing to obey God. Many good people. I mean, I use the word good people sort of loosely, like people that are like, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. Like, yeah, I'm, you know. Or you would say, like, oh, they're, they're good people. But many good people are not fully willing to obey God in everything, to yield it all. Jesus said at the beginning of that passage in Matthew 7, he says, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's a real struggle to obey all of God's commands. I actually know this from experience. It is really hard to do what he says in a moment of temptation or a moment of emotion or frustration to really trust him. It's really hard to obey the whole Bible. There's a lot in there, and there's a lot in there that confronts things that come very naturally to us. Um, but if we profess to be Christians, and even if we do good things and good works, and we obey some of what the Bible says, but our heart isn't all the way in, Jesus can tell. And it's, it doesn't even take him long. He just sees it right away. 
So it's, it's not even, and it's not even about us like doing the right thing so that we earn our salvation or we get God's approval by, by doing the right things. It's not even about what we do. The works are not what saves us. It's about having a heart that's willing to obey. Obedience to God's word. And the worst part about it, about this whole thing, and, and I'll get to some good news in a second, by the way. <laughs> the worst part about this reality that Jesus exposes in this very challenging passage is that there's self-deception. These people that he refers to that don't make it into heaven don't know it. They're de- they're deceived. They have deceived themselves. So they're, they think they're on track. They think they're going to heaven, and they're going to show up and be totally surprised. So how do you... If, if you are this person, or if I am this person, how, what would you do? Like, if, you, if you're on the track to hell thinking you're going to heaven, but you don't know and you have no idea, what do you even do? How do you solve that problem? How do you get out of that? Or if you see somebody that thinks they're on the road to heaven, but you think, I don't, I don't think the heart's there. Like, what do you do? Man, I think, I think part of the reason that Jesus gave these words is... Uh, not just to judge us prematurely, but to help us avoid self-deception. Maybe by sharing these words with us now, it can startle us to say, like, maybe, maybe, maybe I haven't fully submitted to him as Lord over everything in my life. And maybe that's something I can still do while there's still time. So the dilemma that I feel at times when I think about this is sometimes talking to people that are maybe exploring uh, Christianity or ex- checking out church or, or coming around and investigating more. And sometimes uh, we've been talking about these spiritual things and eternal life and all this. And, and I do sometimes talk to people that uh, say, oh yeah, I'm good. I'm a Christian. Oh, I know I'm going to heaven. And maybe it's a relationship where I've seen their life and I, I was like, I, I can't know the heart, but it seems like their life doesn't seem to line up. It seems like full submission to Christ hasn't quite happened yet. And occasionally, I suggest the possibility that they might not be a true Christian. And you can imagine that sometimes is received in different ways. And um, by the way, whenever I do that, which I, I really love gospel conversations. It's one of my favorite things. Um, whenever I do that, I, I look to see if the, the Holy Spirit has appears to have provided a conversation where there's some openness, and the person is open in, in, in a way, inviting a dialogue. Sometimes you talk to people about spiritual things, and it's, it feels like they're closed, and with those, I don't, I don't dive in, necessarily. I, I pray and ask the Lord to show, and, but there are times when a person seems open, and I think maybe, maybe the Lord is working in this person's heart, and then that's when I take a little bit more risk to talk about these things. And I think sometimes people get into the situation where they think they're good, and it might be because there was a quick decision to become a Christian at some point at a, at a church, or maybe there was an impulsive baptism. Sometimes you can go to a church where they just baptize you right on the spot without, even, without a conversation. And sometimes a person might get baptized impulsively, and it might be genuine, but sometimes a conversation is maybe needed for a person to really understand submission and obedience and sometimes a person might just make a simple prayer, and, and there's a lot of scenarios where a person might just sort of tumble into what they think is a spiritually okay situation. Uh, one of my approaches to talking with people about spiritual things and really evangelism is 
is to never assume a person is a Christian. Even if they talk the talk, even if they talk, even if, they, even if they've been in church for like 10 years and um, they can say all the things, they even know a lot of Bible verses, because again, like these people, like Jesus talks about, they, they do talk the talk. They say, Jesus is my Lord. And they appear to have ministry experience. They're in the church. They're doing stuff that you would think leaders would do in the church. But, I, but because of that, I never assume a person's a Christian uh, up front. Not because I'm skeptical and I'm, I'm trying to be like judgmental and I'm trying to, you know. It's because I'd, I never want to miss an opportunity to help someone truly connect with Jesus. I really desire to, I, I, I really like exploring spirituality with people. Um, I really, I have an interest in discussing things at a heart level, especially eternal matters. And it's, it's because that I love people so much and the stakes are so high that I never just have, a, I never have an assumption that a person is saved. Let's just, let's just talk about the gospel and see where it goes. So when you think about this passage, here's, here's, a, here's the next step you might consider for yourself. Is to get brutally honest with yourself. Am I holding anything back? Is there any part of my life that I don't really want Jesus to be in charge of? And when that part comes up in a sermon, or if I hear about that from the Bible, that part, I just brush it aside quickly, I ignore it, I rationalize it. Is there any part of you that does that? And, and imagine that moment, imagine the moment of getting to Judgment Day, and Jesus says, why didn't you do the things I said? So what things would he be referring to? If, if he said that, what, what kind of things in your life right now seem easy to skate around, things that feel easy to ignore or excuse or explain away. And if that's you, you might, be feeling, you might be feeling something in your chest right now, like a concern. That would be a good thing if you feel that way. And it may be that the Lord brought you here today in order to get right with him totally, to, to fully submit your life to him. If that's you, you may not even know necessarily how to do that totally. There's a box on your connection card you can check where you'd like to uh, make Jesus your Lord for the very first time. And you can check that box and we can talk about that. So let me now turn a, a, turn a corner for some good news. If we, if we look at the next thing that Jesus says in Matthew 7, he tells another story. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them he will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He's saying, if in your heart there is truly a willingness to, to obey, you know, like whatever Jesus says, I, you can put me down for obedience because that's what I'm going to do. And I'll probably do it imperfectly. I'll probably stumble and I'm going to need his help. But I already know, I've made a pre-decision in my mind. If I hear anything, it's my job now to obey. And if, you're, if your heart is there, this is saying like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act on it. Actually, it might take me the rest of my life to do it the way he wants me to do it, but I'm going to start acting on it now. He says that you will be like a wise person and built his house on the rock. Really, this obedience, this issue of obedience, is the distinguishing mark for those who enter heaven and those who do not. Willingness to obey all that he has said. So he, he tells the rest of this passage, he says, um, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, 
and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. The ability to have a house built on the rock is a wonderful promise. It's basically Jesus is saying, look, your life is going to get pretty stormy. You're going to go through a lot of hard things. In fact, you may face difficulties that just pound you down things that just feel overwhelming. It feels like you're getting beat down and overwhelmed. But if you live a life of obedience, you will never be fully overwhelmed. You will stand strong. You'll make it through. Our lives will be rock solid. You will not be moved. There will be no collapse, but Jesus will uphold us through it all, now and through eternity. It means your life will be on the rock, like in this life, like your life will be well fortified, and you'll be strong in this life, and then throughout the rest of eternity. This is especially helpful news for people like us living in a culture that feels very uncertain. Times feel uncertain. Things around the world feel like they're about to collapse or explode. And to know that there's a way for us to have a house, a life that stands strong through whatever comes, that is really good news. And there is so much joy and reward in the path of obedience. So another next step, it, maybe this might be for you then, as, as you consider this, your journey towards obedience, is maybe there's something that you need to turn away from, or maybe there's something you need to do that you've been putting off. And you think about this area of obedience. Maybe there's some aspect of obeying the Lord Jesus Christ that you know about, but you haven't quite taken action yet. Like, you've, like, it said, like he says, you've heard it, but you haven't acted on it yet. Maybe now, starting today, maybe today is the time to start acting on it. Like, all right, there's something in my life I need to get rid of, and I have not wanted to deal with that. I've been putting that off, and every time I think about it, I just tuck it neatly in the drawer again. But you're like, all right, no, today's the day. It's going to get dealt with. Or, or there's something you need to do. Like, man, doing that thing is going to require so much courage. And every time you think about it, you get a pit in your stomach. You're like, I don't know if I can do that. You can. You can obey. If he's told you to do it, you can do it. It feels like I'm being really, really vague. Like, this is like, I'm not even giving examples, but there's probably something in your mind. There's probably things in your mind that even if there is something in your mind right now, it's probably because the Holy Spirit is telling you what's there and what needs to be dealt with. So it's probably better if I don't give examples. Just go with what he tells you. So, I, so now that I've talked about this context, again, you know, this series, like I said, you've got to be kidding me. This is hard stuff. This is like kind of heavy stuff. Sometimes I, I would imagine the people that spend time with Jesus and they just heard the highlights of what he said, like, this is really hard. This is, how do you, how do you follow a guy that keeps raising the stakes on my life all the time? This is really hard. <clears throat> but I want to look at one specific area of obedience that I think you would really enjoy and benefit from. Jesus wants us to obey everything that he has commanded. If you've heard the Great Commission, he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. What are some of those things? On your handout, I've listed a partial list of the verses that have the phrase one another in them. Uh, They're called the one another's. It's, It's a bunch of verses in the New Testament where one another is uh, derived from a Greek word, uh, the word aleleon, and it means 
one another in a mutually beneficial, reciprocating way. There's things that we do for and with each other that is, there's like this mutual benefit that happens. And um, aleleon, it occurs 100 times in the New Testament. It's a big concept. And almost 60 of those occurrences are specific commands about how or how not to live and how to treat one another. And so uh, you can see on your handout, uh, I'll just list them and you can just, you can hear. We're commanded to love one another, to be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, submit to one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, offer hospitality to one another. You can see those are from Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, John, um, 1 Thessalonians, Hebrews, 1 Peter. So like I said, there's almost 60 of those. I just read a few and this is a partial list. And it's amazing. There's really, really clear, super specific commands about how we are to treat each other, how I'm supposed to treat you, how you're supposed to treat each other. And obedience to all of these commands is imperative, fully required. And it really forms the basis for all true Christian community. Any community that claims to be Christian, it's got to do this. And when it happens, really, really good things. I mean, just imagine, imagine how life could be different if you were in a group of people that were doing all, just even some of these things, just accepting each other, you know, encouraging each other, even, even warning and helping out, instructing, greeting, hospitality, good deeds. Imagine being a part of how refreshing it would be to be a part of a group like that. That's what we're aiming at as a church. And we take Jesus' words really seriously. Should be evident by the way we look so carefully at even the hard things he says. We take his words really seriously and we've developed church membership. You can become a member of Valley Lights. And if you've been exploring our church and if you want to be a committed part of this group, you can commit to be a member here. And as members, and so not everybody sitting in the room right now is a member. Some have gone through the process to commit in that way. And uh, those who are members, though, we have, we have committed to doing these things, to treating each other this way. We've really committed to, tr to creating the true Christian community that Jesus intended. And I remember when we, um, we had just graduated college and we got married, we had some negative church experiences and some, some okay ones and some things that sort of ended a little bit in a nosedive. And I remember when we were trying to figure out, you know, our first year of marriage, where, what are we going to do? Um, the church we were a part of, the pastor left, and we felt somewhat uh, churchless. And I remember thinking, I, I really want to go to a place where people do what the New Testament says. I thought, like, I've, I've experienced a lot of different kinds of, like, songs and worship styles. I've experienced a lot of different kinds of preaching. Um, I've experienced different kinds, you know, big church, small church, and all that, you know, there's different flavors. All that stuff really doesn't matter. I remember thinking this as, like, a 21-year-old. I don't care about all that stuff. I want to go where they just do what the Bible says, which, by the way, I was not, I was no good at doing what the Bible says at that time in my life. 
And I think that must have been a Holy Spirit-prompted desire because we landed in a church. Uh, the one that sent us out is the one we landed in. We were there for about 15 years, and the Lord just transforms my life, our marriage, our parenting, my understanding of community, because we, we began to really, even though we had been in church for a long time, since a kid, since being a little kid, both of us, we've been in church since little kids, but we had never been a part of a community that really took these words seriously. And it made all the difference in the world. It was so good. Relationships were so refreshing and helpful. Not perfect. Like, there was a lot of messes made, but, like, messes got dealt with in the right and healthy way, and we began to grow little by little. And because we, Valley Lights, really want to take Jesus seriously, and we really want to obey everything he said, we've taken these one another verses and many other New Testament verses, and we've established some baseline commitments so that if you want to be a member here, the, the, the rock-bottom baseline commitments that you'd need to make are what we call the heart attitudes. There are seven core values of Valley Lights Church. Um, these seven values are shared among the churches in our network. We're part of the 76 network. And these heart attitudes are what make us distinctive. They're, they're Lots of different flavors and styles of churches. You may have been in other churches, but this is, this is really it. If, if, there's, if there's things that you like, if there's a flavor about Valley Lights that you like, it's probably because of these. Um, so let me just, I'm not, um, there's, I did a whole series on these and took a lot of time to look through these about a year and a half ago. I'll just read them briefly, but the first heart attitude is to put the goals and interests of others above our own. And when we do this, this means um, when we relate to people, you know, you get to a point where you have a goal and another person has a desire and they don't match. And so somebody has to give up. It's like you're, you're driving on a bridge that's good for one car. Somebody is going to have to back up and get out of the way and let the other person go. And this happens all the time in relationships. This for sure happens in anybody that you live with. If there's anybody in your house and they live there, this happens probably daily. <laughs> when you're like, all right, I want this, I want this, this don't match up. Some, somebody's going to have to just, whew, low, just let go of what they want. So we do this with each other, though. Our second hard attitude is to live an honest, open life before others. And it's really, really hard to open up with people. And uh, there's, there's maybe a period of time when you come to a church that maybe you're exploring and you don't really trust everybody yet. That's normal because you just met. But as you get to know people and as you begin to trust, there needs to be a growing amount of openness where people get to know the real you. They, experience, you like, they hear about what you're struggling with. You also get to learn more at a depth of other people. And there's this, this um, we're not pretending that like, you know, the person, when I'm being open, it's that the person I'm projecting to you is not hidden behind a false version of me. Um, that, like, when you relate to me, it's the real me. It's like, you may not know everything about me, but you're getting Bruce. <laughs> um, but it can be easy to kind of obscure who we really are and not let people in. Third hard attitude is to give and receive scriptural correction. This means, this, this, no, this is a, um, a verse, or this is an idea where we, we know that we get off track in life. We get into sin, I get into sin. And sometimes we're not aware of that, and we need other people to point it out. You might think, anytime I sin, God is going to tell me directly. Well, he actually often uses human beings to be the thing that tells you you're off track and that I'm off track. I've had many people bring to my attention that I'm being 
uh, rude and inconsiderate or that I dropped the ball on some things or that I was being arrogant and pushy. Um, and there, I'm doing things that like Jesus said not to do and I didn't realize it and I've needed people to blow the whistle and point that out. And when we do this, when we, when we give and receive scriptural correction, we don't go around just smashing people over the head with Bible verses, but we, we look to see if there's a pattern, um, not just a one-time offense, but just a pattern of somebody going out of bounds. And we say, in love, we say like, hey, I've, I've noticed this about your life. I don't know if you're aware. And we use this to keep each other on track. Our fourth heart attitude is to clear up relationships. And by this, we know that relationships get messed up and people offend you or frustrate you or hurt you. And also, I offend and hurt other people too. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. But this is the way, that actually, the closer you get to people, the more you spend time, the greater the chance of there being an offense. And, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a crowd full of people, I'm probably not going to offend the person way over there, but the person right next to me, I'll probably step on their toes way faster. And so that's the way it is. You think like, man, the people I'm close, why, why do things, the people I'm closest to, things get the worst? It's because you're close. <laughs> and it just happens. So we know when things get messed up, we'll clear it up. We'll deal with it. We'll walk through a process of humbly confessing what I've done wrong, asking forgiveness, and moving forward in reconciliation and unity. We make this commitment. Again, we make this commitment as members to each other. So if you're a member here, if you're offended, you've already committed to bring it up, get it dealt with out in the open. These first four hard attitudes are four things that deal a lot with how we relate in our, our relationships. And it makes for really good, enjoyable friendships and relationships. Just imagine, imagine people you're with, you know, your other people are putting the other's goals ahead. They're being open and honest about who they are. There's no pretense. Just imagine that there's correction when needed, but it's out of love and that we're keeping things clear. There's no eggshells. There's no like dancing around issues or like avoiding conversations. No, it's just open and it's clear and it's good. These next three deal not so much with individual relationships as much as the church as a whole group, like an organization. These next three help us function as a church. Number five is participate in the ministry. We're commanded by the Lord to use the gifts he's given us to serve and build up the church. And so members say, I'll pitch in. I'll help out in some way. I'm going to help make this church go. And it's an amazing thing when that starts happening in line with a person's gifting. Uh, number six is to support the work financially. Members say, I will pitch in financially as well. The Lord's been very clear on this issue, and so I know I'll, I'll give. We, we teach tithing, which is the, what the Bible teaches, but um, not that everybody's right there. We, at the very least, we say, if you're going to be a member, contribute something. Start somewhere, pick an amount, and just start contributing because that's what God has commanded. And then number seven is to follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. Um, the Lord has a set, he has set leaders, um, government leaders, leaders over schools and businesses and cities and churches. And so God picks who the leaders are, and we recognize that in all the different layers of them. And so we know that we're commanded to obey, submit to, and follow the leadership. That is, um, so long as that always moves within scriptural limits. We don't follow leaders that are um, anti-biblical or demonic or way off track. We, we're, we're not obligated to follow those. But there's a lot, there's a wide range of times when 
It's not so much that the leader is doing something anti-biblical, it's just doing something that I disagree with and I don't like. <laughs> and um, so we say, we, we make this commitment, that members say, like, I'll, I'll get behind the leader and I'll, I'll make it a joy. Hebrews 13, 17 says, make it a joy, not a burden. And um, church members can sometimes make things a real drag and a burden in the way that they hang around. And it could be, there could be a critical spirit or... Um, an argumentative spirit or a disloyal spirit that uh, really works against the organization functioning. And so this one, this number seven, you'll know if you're a good follower, you're like, oh yeah, I'm good on this one, um, is, is if, you're, if you agree so far with what the leader has said, then you're not following yet, you're just walking in the same direction. <laughs> you don't actually start following until you disagree with a leader and then you still keep walking. That's following. And so these are our seven core values. Um, these are what make our church who we are. These are distinctive. This makes it so that people can enjoy life together and our church can get a lot done for the Lord. Um, these are the seven bottom line commitments a person needs to make to be a member. And um, over the years, I've noticed that not, that not everybody wants to become a member. And sometimes people attend the church for a very long time but hold back, and they never, they never become a member. I don't always know what the reason is, but I think usually, not always, but usually there's an area of obedience that the person is not willing to do. Because the bottom line commitments are what Jesus commands, we're not even asking people to do things outside of the Bible. This is what the Bible says. But an unwillingness to become a member over a long period of time usually means there's a hold back somewhere. And so consider this. Consider this as the next step. Um, commit to a church that is devoted to living out God's word. I would suggest becoming a member of Valley Lights, but you don't have to become a member here. It could be any church. It, it doesn't even have to be our church, but I would still recommend commit wholeheartedly to a church that is devoted to living out God's word. And that is really what Jesus was saying here. Like, um, if you hear but don't do, no, get in a place where you're around a lot of people that are hearing and doing. Because we need each other. You, you want it, if you're going to go to church, be, at least be at one where they're aggressively applying Scripture. That's where you want to go. And I will say, our members are a group of very imperfect people that are devoted to living out God's commands. And we do it imperfectly, and we make messes. Um, I actually had to clear something up last night with, with some church members, and I, I heard Barry say that he had to clear something up with somebody the day before. Like, we, 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 uh, we offend each other, and we, we get off track, but we're going to, if the Lord will be gracious, we will keep obeying, and we're going to keep moving forward um, if, if he allows us to. And so, there would be something amazing for you to be a part of a, a committed group of people that are following the Lord Jesus. Imagine the kind of support that you could have in your life if you committed to, to team with us in that way. Perhaps you've started the, the membership process at our church. There's a process. You go to a class, and then you fill out a form, really look, looking at these values. You fill out a form, and then we meet up just to talk and explore your spiritual background. Um, it's kind of like a, we call it the commit conversation. And once you've gone through that, you can be announced as a member. If, you're, if you started the process, you can finish it. And um, I, I hope you consider that. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you for this word today. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for being really, really clear with your words. It's, there's really no mistaking <laughs> what you intended. And you would say things that were so challenging. But we know that you have incredible, deep love for us. You didn't lord it over us. You weren't a bully or harsh. You said things really out of your love, and you proved that by dying on the cross for us. You were deserving of everything, and yet you paid the biggest price to enable us to walk in life and freedom, and we are so grateful for that. For each of us, I think just wherever we're at in our spiritual journeys, there's, there's just always consistently things that come up where we're hesitant to obey or reluctant or we get into sin, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd expose those. Give us the grace. Lord, be merciful to us as a group to do what is pleasing and honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.